Hello, dear listeners. It's your MC, Caitlin, here with two things before you dive into this episode. First, just a small content warning for this episode. Things get bloody very quickly. We don't go into detailed description, but wanted to give you all a heads up in case that's a thing for you. Second, this week's episode is brought to you by our second sponsorship tier patron, Thomas. Thomas is the GM of Paradigm Academy, a Masks actual play podcast where a band of misfit teenage superheroes are frequently finding themselves emotionally battered and in way over their heads. You should go check it out on Twitter at ParadigmPod1 or wherever you listen to podcasts. We open on the streets of Eldersburg, where it has begun snowing, a look of anger on Jeremiah's face. We pan over three of our other shadows, a smug look on Silk's face, a laid-back look on Victor's, and steady determination on Alistair's. The camera lands on Fatima, a masked look of boredom on her face as she leans against the window of the train she's taking into downtown. The camera speeds further to where Cass is standing outside a tall apartment building wreathed in the fog, eagerly asking questions of a very uninterested food cart worker. The camera turns to a parking garage, zooming into Jew's amused, bloodthirsty grin. We turn to the look of fury on Alex's face as he lunges at Jew. Alex, what you doing here as you uh, lunge at the other chompy boy? I feel like this is definitely unleashing an attack. All right. Roll to unleash an attack. That is a 10. Okay. When you unleash an attack on someone, roll with blood. On a hit, you inflict harm as established and choose one. So if it's okay, I'll just tell you and you can uh, decide whether you think this is inflicting terrible harm or taking something. So after Jew threatens Cass, Alex is going to grab him by the throat, ram a hand in his mouth, and go, hold your tongue, and then rip his tongue out. Basically, here's where I'm at. If you want to make it so that you do a lot of harm, but he can still mouth off to you, then you're inflicting terrible harm. If you want to make it so he can't talk, then you're taking something from him. I'm taking something from him. And do you know how much harm you do as established? This seems like one harm, really. I think it is. So we get that shot of... Alex grabbing Jew's throat and just ripping his tongue out, blood splattering all over the front of Alex's shirt and jacket. And we get that nice arc spray of blood as Jew pulls his head away. And he has a bit of a gurgled laugh through the blood in his mouth. What do you do? Alex at this point is very upset, to say the least. So I think he's going to get kind of scary. I think he is looking less and less human just by the second. His eyes are probably just bloodshot and red at this point. You know, all sorts of just jagged teeth going on there. And I think he is going to go for another attack. He's just going to try and grab him by the face. All right. Unleash another attack. That's an eight. And I think at this point, he's just going to grab his head and run it into a wall a couple of times. I would like to inflict terrible harm, and I'm okay with him inflicting harm on me. So as you ram his head into the wall a few times we get like that first hit in the pound the second hit in the pound and as you're going for the third your hand slides back into his mouth and he just chomps have you ever been bitten by a vampire like you before you know i don't think so it is a very unpleasant experience you feel a combination of ice and fire in the veins of your hands as he chomps down harder, not letting go. 
you're gonna take uh, two harm from that. Nice. And after he bites down hard, you can tell that he's trying to get you to let go of his face and give him a little bit of space. He's not about to let go until he thinks he has an opening. Sure. And I think Alex is actually taking that. There's a weirdly, like, I'm okay with you clamping on my arm kind of smile because I'm just going to grab onto his tooth, brace my arm against the wall, and pull. I'm assuming that's an unleash as well, yeah? Yeah, another unleash. That's a nine. So at this point, I am once again just inflicting terrible harm, and I am still okay with him inflicting harm on me. So you're, like, ripping out of his bite, right? So the way this works out is that if he is chomping down on my hand, I am grabbing onto his teeth to give myself an anchor, and then I am pulling as hard as I can. So are you pulling your hand out of his mouth? That depends on if he lets go. As, like, you get that brace and you rip your arm out, you're surprised to find that he not only, like, lets go, but a few of his teeth go with you. Which is actually good, because the bite marks that aren't plugged up by some teeth that came with them start bleeding and burning profusely. It feels like acid seeping out of your veins. Go ahead and take one harm from that. And you can definitely tell that Jew is making a run for it at this point. Like, how is he? Is he just, like, physically running away? He's running away from you, but, like, not towards one of the stairwells. Instead, towards one of the openings in the garage. It looks like he's planning to literally jump out of the garage. I think, at this point, what Alex would like to do is try and get between him, grab him and put him up against the wall. And just very pointedly look at him. You work for me now. First, I need you to roll to keep your cool to see if you're able to avoid the situation of Jew getting away. Okay. Uh, would that be a keep your cool or a let it out, do you think? Yeah, we can go with let it out, I think. I'm fine with either, really. Because I think this is definitely uh, Alex leaning into the being a scary fucking vampire kind of thing. With that, then it's a let it out. Nope, that is a miss. You start to move, but you feel sluggish. That icy feeling in your veins is getting to you, and you're not able to make it quite in time. You watch Ju jump from the parking garage, and in midair, turn into a yellow finch. Ha, I gotcha. And fly away. I think I like that shot of Alex just kind of standing there like with his probably pretty mangled up hand at this point and a handful of teeth. Very mangled hand, full of teeth, and you are covered in blood. I'm going to put the teeth in a pocket and uh, maybe go to make a phone call. <laughs> As Alex goes to do that, we have some other people doing things. So we have the Silk Victor duo. We have the Alistair tracking down a baseball player and we have jeremiah doing i am not sure what so who wants to go i could stand to go so our camera pans from alex to alistair what's the scene look like what are you doing alistair has gotten into his car which sticks out like a sore thumb in the parking lot of the country club it is not a well-kept car by any stretch of the imagination he is heading off following his senses over towards where he has tracked Kyle to. He is 
on a one-track mind. He is a man on a mission, and he is going to see it done. We get that camera shot following your car, zooming out to the map where we can follow your trail. And then it zooms back in on that apartment building wreathed in fog from our opening sequence. We see from Alistair's perspective a yellow finch flying a little awkwardly away from a parking garage. And we see Cass in her conversation with the food cart worker off to the right. And this is the apartment building that Kyle Swin is in. Alistair will park his car and climb out of it. I don't have an apartment number, do I? Yeah, you don't have an apartment number. You have a name. Then I will head in through the front door and look for like a directory or somebody working. If It's like one of those apartment buildings with a front desk. This is one of those apartment buildings that like the bottom floor is all, you know, there's like a CVS and a clothes store and some little liquor store because, you know, we need a liquor store. And also the St. Fleur Supernatural Society office is down here. And one of the other offices is for the Mercier Property Group, who owns this building. Alistair is going to pop into the liquor store shortly. He is going to buy some sort of, like, wine or something. Like, the type of alcohol you would give as a gift. And then head on over to the property group. Would he knock or would he walk on in? I suppose he'd probably just walk on in. Yeah, it's a pretty standard office. There is a woman in her late 20s sitting at the desk. She is Hispanic and her hair is pulled back nicely. She's well-dressed for her job, but looks very unassuming and unthreatening. And she smiles at you as you walk in and says, Oh, good afternoon, sir. How can we here at the Mercier Property Group help you today? Ah, yes. Excuse me, my dear ma'am. I, uh... Terribly sorry to have to ask. I was sent over with this bottle of wine for a uh, Kyle Swin, but unfortunately I seem to have misplaced the address I meant to deliver it to. Could you direct me to where I can deliver it? Oh, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to share our client's information with you. If you want to leave it with me at the desk, though, I can make sure it makes it to him. Oh, well, you see, I'm a... uh, Singing telegram, and it's really all part of the show, you understand. It's uh, quite the gift that was set up for him, and I would hate to disappoint my client. Roll to mislead, distract, or trick. Oh no, that's all for She smiles at you and stands up and says, Of course, sir, I'll take you right up. Lovely, I'm glad to see that the uh, professional courtesy has been extended. Of course. Those of us in the service industry have to look out for each other, don't we? She says as the elevator dings. Yes, quite. And I will step onto the elevator with her. She steps in behind you, reaches over, and hits a button. And as the door closes, you feel the point of a dagger in your back. I'm assuming that's a knife and you're not just happy to see me. I don't think I have the right equipment to be happy to see you. I try not to make assumptions, my dear. So I assume we're not going up to see Kyle then? Mr. Swin isn't in right now. 
And I'm sure he would, you know, be happy to know that some weird little guy reeking of magic coming in off the streets looking for him. So we'll wait. And as the door opens, like she pushes you forward, the tip of the dagger pushing slightly into your spine. I step forward out of the elevator. The elevator opened into the penthouse. And she pushes you down into the chair and starts to tie you up. As she is doing that, I would like to use one of my hold to run my finger across my ring and use foresight to have a short vision about this upcoming scene. As you run your finger across the ring, the scene shifts. It's like everything's covered in mist for a moment. It's very reminiscent of the bell tower in Point Claire. You see a image of a tall man walking in, baseball bat slung over his shoulder, flanked by two other men who both have guns. And you see on the jackets of the two men the now-becoming well-known symbol of the brigade. And as the scene shows, the bat of the leader coming in contact with your face you come back into reality where this woman has finished tying you up. And I think we're going to go visit somebody else from there. Jeremiah is going to hit the streets of his arcane network. He wants to find some sort of item that he can use to curse Fatima with. Go ahead and roll to hit the streets then. And who in your arcane network are you hitting up to do this? Felicia Malcolm. She's one of the more bold members of the network and dabbles a lot with cursed objects and harmful objects. All right, so that is a 13. When you hit the streets to get what you need, name who you're going to and roll with their faction. On a hit, they're available and have the stuff. Alicia agrees to meet with you downtown. All right, let's head on down there. The two of you meet up in a little coffee shop that's not too far from the supernatural society and after you exchange pleasantries she sits her bag meaningfully on the table and says so i know you've come to me looking for something what is it you need i find myself in need of an object to put a very obvious and short-term curse on one fatima sanchez you can tell she recognizes the name but doesn't seem dissuade by the fact that that's who you want to use the item on. And what type of curse are you thinking, dear boy? I was hoping for something to take away her sleep, make her exhausted. Big, it's obvious. She'll know something's up. Gives me leverage over her. And I know that uh, reflexes and wits are very important to these sorts of people. I have something that could achieve that purpose, but what are you offering me for it? Well. Dear girl, it'll put me ever so much in your debt. Get this item. I'm sure I have something you're looking after or have leads on something you want. And the hunters have crossed a line and went after Dinah. She is, doesn't necessarily want me involved in this, but uh, can't let our neutrality in certain matters make it look like we can be trampled on. There are rules in place. Go ahead and roll to persuade an NPC. I am pretty good at that. 
All right. So on a seven to nine, they modify the terms or demand a debt. Felicia nods kind of sagely. I would need to be able to call upon you more than once for this. The item I'm thinking of in particular, someone in that organization might be aware that I have and this could come back to haunt me. She wants two debts for the item. I do believe that sounds very reasonable. Lovely. She puts her gloves on and then reaches into her bag and pulls out a collapsed bronze spyglass that she sets on the table between the two of you. It's a surprisingly delicate looking piece. And there are inscriptions on it. If you can get her into your sights and then twist it just so, the curse will take hold. You'll study the object. Nod. My dear, have I ever told you how useful you are to everyone? Felicia smiles widely as she settles back in, taking a sip of her cappuccino. Oh, I know, I'm one of the best. If only Zarn saw me for what I was worth for once. Well, he doesn't really see much uh, beyond himself, unfortunately. And his... And uh... Babin. Hmm. Interesting. Have you not heard the latest rumor about the two of them? Oh, I haven't. Right, Jeremiah's going to slide the uh, spyglass into his bag. I heard that the uh, two of them were seen going out of town together, supposedly on business. Really? Yeah, like you and Dinah go out of town together on business sometimes. That's very interesting. All right, so Jeremiah is, of course, planning a coup against Zarn. So I'm going to roll to figure someone out. Oh, yes, please do. Partial success. So you hold two. She gets to hold one on you as well. And you are in their faction, so you get an additional question. So really, you hold three. As we uh, gossip over coffee, Jeremiah will lean forward a little conspiratorially. Uh, Now, uh, my dear, as I'm sure you're intimately familiar with, Zarn is not necessarily the most uh, popular leader at this point, but all he really has is uh, clout and money. So how would you react to a regime change in the near future? Well, I for one would welcome a change. I think Zarn has gotten far too comfy on his laurels and forgotten the work all of us do. So I'm going to use my first hold. How can I put Felicia in my debt? Felicia wants power. She can get basically any item she sets her sights on. She wants a guarantee of power. If you are able to do something for her that gives her that power, she will be in your debt. The current structure with Zahn and his uh, sycophants on top and the rest of us scrabbling for scraps. Um, with you on my side, and if this all works out well, I would definitely be in a position to promote you upwards on the merits of your long-standing work. I'm always open to that sort of discussion. I think this might be the same answer, but uh, how can I get Felicia to aid me in the coup? It's not just that she wants a promise of power. She wants to know your plan, and she wants to know that it is solid. She doesn't want to place her bets with you if you don't know what you're doing. Well, everything is in still in the early stages. Uh, working out some plans and filling things out. But uh, I will email you in the next couple of days. I get a firm idea of what I want to do. 
When you say that, she starts jotting down a different email than the one you normally use for her and slides it across to you. All right. Here's my last question. Who's pulling Felicia's strings? She lives in Finn's territory and as such has had to procure more than one item for them than she necessarily wanted to, but knows that if she doesn't stay in their good graces, she will not be protected. Which territory does she live in? Fen, F-E-N, that is the established vampire who actually has territory in this game so far. Jew's sibling. Got it. As this conversation is going on, she kind of sits back and looks at you and... What are you worried is going to happen, Jeremiah? I can tell something's on your mind. Hmm. What is Jeremiah worried about? The camera kind of lingers on Jeremiah's face as you can tell he's trying to put words together for Felicia. And in the background where there's that bay of windows of the cafe, we see the most ostentatious vehicle drive past and come into focus as the camera follows to Silk and Victor, who are arriving on the scene where Cass is waiting outside of the building for Victor. Silk, where are you parking? Silk is finding, like, somewhere where you can take up two spaces, of course. There's a parking garage right across the street. Yeah, that sounds good. Probably end up driving all the way to the tippy top and taking up his customary two spaces. I wonder if I see any just, you know, blood around anywhere. Yeah, uh, second to top floor, basically empty. You see your good friend, Alex. So Silk is going to drive up right beside him. Pull down his uh, window and, um, so is that your blood or someone else's? Yes. A little of both. That does look quite a bit gruesome. Uh, I run into problems, have we? At this point, I put the phone back in my pocket because funny enough, I was actually about to call Victor. I'm going to get out of the car and not have this conversation through a window. Victor, when you step out of the car, I mean... This is like the third time in a week you've smelt this guy. You you know immediately. You fuck you up a little? I just kind of smile over at Victor and then pull a handful of teeth out of my pocket. Give as good as you get. Good. Slightly better, I would say. Which brings me to what I wanted to talk to you about. Now, Victor, do you know a woman named Cass DeWitt? Yeah, I'm going to meet her now. Well, I don't know her, but I'm going to meet her now. Keep a close eye on her. Zhu threatened her to get to me. I point at the building like kind of shrouded in fog in the middle of the day. She's over there. Probably. And I kind of just like shake my uh, bloody and mangled hand. I'm not really in a state to be in public at the moment. Would you like me to look at that for you? You know what? Why not? All right. You two stay here. I'll check on Cass. And I... Like, legitimately, Victor, thank you. Just keep forgetting. And I start leaving. Do I need to hit the streets to go find Cass? Oh, no, she's waiting for you. If the camera wants to stay here while I'm doing the walking, that's cool with me. The camera stays on Alex and Silk as Victor starts heading across the street to meet up with Cass. So, do we think that my nature's caress healing move Will that require an intimate moment? You know, it could. That depends on how you both define intimacy. It could. It's definitely going to include caressing. 
So Alex is just kind of leaning up against his car at this moment, uh, holding his bloody hand away from the paint. Uh, I've never done this. Oh, what Alex, you- dear. Um, I'll be gentle. So Silk takes his hand. The camera zooms in on him lovingly, like caressing his arm. And then he brings the hand to uh, his lips and he kisses it. And I'm going to be using uh, nature's caress here. And I'm going to do that by marking corruption because I need those sweet, sweet corruption moves. And that heals two harm. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to need you both to resolve your physical intimacy moves. Sure. Uh, Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, Okay. When you share a moment of intimacy, physical or emotional, with another person, demand a promise from them. If they refuse you or break the promise, they owe you two debts. And I'm just going to feed the fires of the uh, ship here and have you promise to be careful. Oh. And if I refuse, I owe you two debts. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. I think Alex is actually kind of taken aback by that particular request. And as his like, wounds start closing up, I think he kind of looks off towards the place where, where you um, jumped out of and looks back over at Silk. I don't know that that is an option. Do you know anything about this vampire, Zhu? Um, why don't we find out? Uh, do we want to resolve your intimacy move first? or I, I'm actually kind of getting there, funny enough. All right, well, let's go ahead and put a face to the name, I guess. That is a miss. I do not know this Jew person. Something is going to happen from that miss, but I'm going to let you all finish resolving this intimate moment first. So when it kind of becomes obvious that Silk doesn't know, he's dangerous. I don't like talking about this, but he doesn't, he doesn't drink blood, Silk. He eats people well he wouldn't be the first um man eater that i've met i don't know if you understand me correctly i don't mean that he eats them physically he drinks their souls silk oh well that's interesting uh so he's like you then yes and i cannot let that stand Because, Silk, you have a different perspective on this. But this is not any way to live. And anyone who delights in that should not exist. Silk is going to quirk an eyebrow with that. So, my intimacy move with another person. I tell them a secret about myself, or I owe them a debt. Either way, they enter my web and owe me a debt. And I think the way this uh, kind of ends up is... I don't talk about my nature very often, and I would, of course, appreciate you keeping that under your hat, so to speak. So I think I would like to owe you a debt, if that's okay. That works for me. On top of the two I just owed you. (laughs) More debts, more deliciousness. Silk, before you have the opportunity to respond to that, your phone starts ringing. What do you have Isabel saved under in your phone? The Not-So-White Reverend, I think. All right. The name on your phone is the Not-So-White Reverend. So I'm going to turn away from this intimate moment as if nothing at all happened and just put the phone on speaker. Hello. Um, you've reached Silk. How may I assist you? Remember like a week ago, 
when I went to Point Claire and met with a vampire who maybe would have killed me on your insistence. Yes, quite. Yeah, I need a favor. Of course, what is it that you needed? You hear like some rustling of papers and then... There is a woman who goes by the name of uh, Fatima Sanchez. I need you to bring her to Point Claire. Uh, do you need that um, willingly or... And he's going to let that trail off. You know what? I don't care. Alive, mostly, or at least able to be brought back to life. Preferable. But, uh, yeah, we just need her taken in now. Then I will get to that as soon as my current business resolves. And he's going to go look at Alex. Just, you know, yeah. Do it sooner than that, Silk. And the phone hangs up. Rude. Well, that sounded pleasant. And as we get that shot of the two of you looking at each other, our camera pans out of the garage to Victor, who is meeting Castawit out in the street. Castawit? Uh, yes, you must be uh, Victor. Midnight Roses told me about you. Yeah, that's me. I hold out a hand to... She shakes your hand firmly and a little eagerly. Cass is very well-dressed. She has raven black hair that she keeps in a high ponytail. She wears heels all the time. In her hair, there is a silver hair comb that has a lotus flower on it. Were you sent here by the Supernatural Society? Oh, no. I'm not doing work for them right now. Midnight Roses reached out to me herself. She wanted me to look into the fog. I mean, I've been here all my life, so I know the myths. But I don't know. It looks like it's coming from the penthouse, don't you think? I look up, inhale through my nose. I would like to investigate a place of power. Roll with wild. That is a seven, a partial success. When you investigate a place of power, roll with the faction that owns it. On a hit, you see below the surface to the reality underneath. Victor, as you inhale, you get the scent of unfinished business, death, and a demon. Yeah, there's nothing pleasant in there. Well, I mean, there's probably people too, but... <laughs> well, people aren't very pleasant now, are they? Uh, Victor smiles? No, not usually. Well, I hope I can be an exception to that. Anyways... Midnight Roses told me not to do anything until you got here, and now you're here, so I'm going to go see if I can't convince someone to let me up. I, I think you should stay out here. Um, this is uh, over your weight class. She crosses her arms. And what is that supposed to mean? Alex is worried about you. Someone threatened you specifically. They might be in this building. You should stay out here. Roll to persuade an NPC to see how she responds to this. I'm bad at this. All right. Hey, I got a seven. On a hit, they do what you ask. On a seven to nine, they modify the terms or demand a debt. Cass, like, scrunches her face up a little bit. Well, if you want me to do Alex's bidding instead of my clients, I'm going to need to know that I can call on you later. Deal? I'm looking out for you. This is going to be unpleasant, but 
Sure. Just don't get hurt. No promises. Well, I do have some other business of my own that I should look into, I suppose. Let me know what you find out about the spooky fog so I can report it back to Midnight Roses, please. All right. I head into the building and Victor is going to tie his shoe after he crosses the street and check to make sure his concealed handgun is still there. As Victor crosses the street, the camera lingers on Cass, whose phone starts ringing with the tune of Fleur de Lune. She looks at it and hits the ignore button before she starts walking back to her car. And then the camera shifts back to Victor, who is tying his shoe. I head in. Is the same concierge there? This time it's a guy, also in his late 20s. Looks very similar to the female concierge. Do they have like a key to the elevator or can I just go to the elevator? They have a key to the elevator. Excuse me, I need to head up to the penthouse. The concierge looks up at you, kind of like looks you over. I'm trying to think. I feel like you need to do a roll here before I decide how he reacts because you're just kind of an intimidating person to begin with. Am I persuading another NPC? Yeah, go ahead and roll to persuade an NPC. That is a one. Of course, sir. Allow me to escort you up. I still have my duffel bag, but it's a lot less full than usual. And uh, I, I go to the elevator with this man. The two of you step into the elevator. He steps in after you, hits the button, and then moves incredibly quickly as a syringe goes into your neck and you feel your body go limp. You're still consciously there, but like you kind of collapse in the elevator some. Alistair, you see when the elevator opens up a concierge who looks like he could be the twin of the concierge who brought you up, dragging in a limp Victor, who he starts tying up across from you. Well, that's not good. Can I uh, put a name to a face for either this new concierge or them as a pairing? Yes, I would like you to roll with Wild. That's a big fat two. As the guy finishes tying Victor up, he turns to the woman and says something in a language that just sounds straight up demonic. And she nods and says something back to him. And then he leaves. Pardon, could you repeat that? She slaps you across the face for that. No harm. It just stings. That That's probably fair. Don't make me put a gag on you. Oh, but I might enjoy that. Like, she just exhales, and you can tell, is kind of like centering herself and cracks her neck. And as she does it, you see that like her form starts to change slightly. Her neck like elongates a little bit as her hair that was like in a bun comes undone and turns into snakes cascading down her back. And then she smiles and says, oh, I would enjoy it too. But I don't think Mr. Schwinn would be too happy with that. And our camera cuts back to Felicia and Jeremiah having coffee. And once again, she asks. So, what are you worried is going to happen? Two things worry me. First off, I think... I think something big is coming. 
Kieran Shearer randomly turning up dead. The other murders. <sighs> Framing of a werewolf. It's going to put certain people antagonizing others. And I don't think Zarn is going to look up long enough to prepare us for what's about to happen. Secondly, I'm worried about something from my past possibly coming back. An item I've been holding on to is getting agitated. It's possible that those two things colliding means even worst things for us down the road. And I'd prefer a more active and forward-looking leader. And I would also like to trigger my intimacy move, because Jeremiah is opening up to Felicia emotionally. Yeah, I would say this is a moment of emotional intimacy. Go ahead and remind me what your intimacy move does. Scholar intimacy move. When you share a moment of intimacy, physical or emotional, with another person, they get a debt on you. So Felicia's up to three debts on me. And you have what they desire. Ask them to name an item they have been seeking. That item recently turned up in your arcane network. Yeah, I might twist this a little bit. Do you ask about the, like, what are you looking for or something like that? Yes. I agree with you that Zarn isn't looking far enough ahead. And I think I know of something that might help us, but I don't have access to it. You might, though. You are familiar with the Lockwoods, correct? Uh, I have a reputation of them and one of the members. See... From what I've heard around, in the Lockwood Manor, there's a set of tomes. And in these tomes are spells that even ones such as us could cast for wards and protection. However, I don't have access to the Lockwood Manor, and nor do I really want to get to know Theodora's cousin. She annoys me enough as is, I don't think I can handle two of them. Mm. But you seem to at least know him already and might be able to get in there and get them no problem. We're not quite on good terms, but I think something can be done. Yeah. It might bring some heat down on me, but I can work something out. I would be incredibly grateful if you did, and I think it'll help both of us. I'll look into it. The camera lingers there for a moment as the two of you sit in quiet contemplation, sipping your beverages. It then pans back to Silk and Alex, who just wrapped up a phone call from Isabel Lane, demanding that Silk bring her Fatima. Could I put a face to a name here to see if I know who Fatima is? Please do. Mortality. No. As you're, like, standing there thinking about this, and before... Alex can really say anything. We hear sirens fast approaching and see the blue and red of police lights. What do you both do? I am weirdly okay with the police. Uh, I just don't want to necessarily answer their questions. So I'm going to look over at Silk. Silk doesn't really have any fear of the police right now either. Friendly reminder that you are standing in the middle of a parking garage that is covered in blood, and there will be questions. Oh, I know. That's why I'm going to look over at Silk. Do you think you'd like to go get a drink? Well, um, these things do make me thirsty, so let's find a spot and uh, go have a drink then. 
I think we should exit this parking garage. I'd like to go see if Cass is still at that meeting spot and go talk to her. It kind of works out. Alex is still worried, so. Because last time he asked Victor to watch someone, they ended up in eight pieces. As the camera follows the two of you down the staircase out into the street, and you two cross to where Cass had been meeting Victor, you don't see her. But Alex, on the ground you see a familiar-looking notebook. Oh, dear. Uh, Gonna bend down and pick that up. It's a plain black leather notebook. Clearly a lot of notes have been taken in it with many pages dog-eared. As you flip it open on the inside cover, written in block script, it says, Property of Cassandra DeWitt. If found, please call. And then her phone number is listed there. Well, obviously trying to call that number. Not that I expect it's going to be answered at this point. We get a few long rings. And then... Hello, you've reached the office of Cassandra DeWitt, private investigator. I am not available to take your call at this moment. That's fine. I'm, I'm not leaving a message there. I'm just going to hand the notebook over to Silk. <sighs> Every time I ask Victor to do a simple job. Well, hopefully um, Cass is still in, you know, one piece, maybe two. Can I uh, sniff around a little bit since I am a, you know, feral undead predator and... Uh, try and pick up a scent trail maybe because i know what Cass smells like right yeah you're familiar with her scent so roll to let it out ha no that is a three as you start kind of looking around to see if you can find where she is you suddenly feel unexpectedly woozy silk was able to heal most of what happened but something isn't settling right and you start losing your grasp on consciousness. Alex is going to very quickly try and find a wall to like brace himself against. Maybe like somewhere off the street. As you stumble into the alley, bracing yourself against the wall, you get a glimpse of none other than Anna Rosenberg. And our camera pans from there up to the penthouse where Alistair and Victor are both currently tied up by some demon lady. What time of day is it? It's like 1 p.m., Early afternoon. I look outside, see the blue sky, then look at Alistair, and then look at my right boot, then look at Alistair, and then look at my right boot. And I'm trying to convey something to him. Uh, should I try to figure him out here? Yeah, that would be really good. Roll to figure someone out. That's a seven. So I'm going to use what's your character hoping to get from blank? So what's your character hoping to get from me right now? I'm trying to convey to you that I have a gun in my boot. That might be useful if one of us can get free. On that note, do I still have my magic focus gun? Or did they take that from me? She didn't pat you down and she's a little sloppy, so you still have your gun. Alistair will do his best to make eye contact and just sort of nod but not too much. What's your character hoping to get from this situation? Like, can I tell if you've got a concrete plan? Victor looks back outside and, like, tries to indicate that we can't just wait for me to turn into a werewolf. We've got to do something before that happens. We'll be dead otherwise. He does not have a plan. 
he has an objective. All right. Did you want to ask your question before I make a stupid ass decision? Yes. How can I get your character to be most dangerous? With your attempts to convey that we are not going to be able to wait our way out of this, I think Alistair is ready to, like, he's ready to fight back. He's not the type of person to just sit here and be held captive. And one of my spells is Elementalism. You conjure the elements to strike out at your enemies. Would the ropes binding my hands be considered enemies? Yes, but I want you to roll to keep your cool to not also hurt yourself. Yeah, I got a six, so unless my buddy here has a way to help me out, that's not going to be great. I inhale deeply and exhale. Keep your breath even. Focus on what you need to do. Don't freak out. Yeah, roll to lend a hand. Oh, I've got good news. I got another one. As Victor is trying to say those ever so helpful words. Not only does that break your concentration, Alistair, causing you to singe your wrists as you burn off your binds, take one harm. It also attracts the attention of the demon lady again, who turns to look at you both, her claws starting to come out of her hands, teeth elongating into venomous fangs. And at that same moment, the elevator bell rings and out steps Kyle Schwinn with his baseball bat, the two male hunters from the brigade, and the other concierge from earlier. As our camera lingers on Kyle's bloodthirsty smile, our credits begin to roll. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcatcher and follow us on Twitter at St. Fleur Pod. If you want to support the creators who are bringing you this content, consider becoming a patron. You can find us on Patreon at the link in the episode description. Another big thank you and shout out to our sponsor patron for today's episode, Thomas. You can hear him in his own podcast, Paradigm Academy. Find their handle in the episode description. Unable to be a patron but still want to support us? Consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcatcher so others can see how much you like what you're hearing. Shadows of St. Fleur is an Urban Shadows actual play podcast emceed and edited by Caitlin Cornell. You can find her on Twitter at SuperCaitlin1. Alistair, who is cool under pressure but only when it doesn't really matter, is voiced and played by Andy. You can find him on Twitter at AndyLion92. Alex, who still hasn't learned his lesson to not trust Victor with precious cargo, is voiced and played by Jeremy. You can find him on Twitter at TayuFace. Silk, who doesn't understand that the caress in nature's caress doesn't have to be so literal, is voiced and played by Eric. You can find him on Twitter at PrimeFactorX01. Victor, who likes pina coladas and meaningful stares with Alistair, is voiced and played by Evan. You can find him on Twitter at Nyquist underscore J-E. And finally, Jeremiah, who for reasons unknown keeps a cat in his bag, is voiced and played by Matthew. Urban Shadows is a Powered by the Apocalypse tabletop role-playing game 
Written, designed, and developed by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz-Truman. It is published by Magpie Games, who you can find at magpiegames.com or on Twitter at magpieofficial. The intro music used in this episode was Epic Unease by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incompotech.com. The outro music used in this episode is Dark Carnival VL by Paratune. You can find their work at paratune.com. Farewell, dear listener. We'll see you next time you visit St. Fleur. <laughs> <laughs>